out, you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious in the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. I hope this finds you well, whatever you're doing today, and happy Christmas season to you. I hope you're getting to slow down a little bit as you're listening. I cannot believe it, but we're already at the last episode of the season. How can we even be here already? (laughs) I knew that the last episode would lead us into Christmas, and it's just already upon us. It's how it always goes. But I pray that you're getting some moments to really breathe in and take in this beautiful season, making room in your heart for the Savior, taking time to be present, and what a present that must be to those around you. You see what I did there? Sorry, I can't help it. Anyway, well, we're not diving into the interview quite yet, but I want to tell you that I'm really excited that today's guest is Michael and Smith, otherwise known as The Nester. The interview you're going to hear today was when she was in town back in October. Actually, October 31st was when we sat down to chat. She was in town promoting her new book called Cozy Minimalist Home, More Style, less stuff, and I was able to get her to come out to Keeper's Branch, which was really exciting. I'm going to tell you, I like kind of, you know, fluff the pillows, made sure I dusted, (laughs) and she sat at my farm table with me, and I had so much fun getting to know her a little bit. I've admired her from afar, and I've had her first book for quite a while called The Nesting Place. It's about her journey of moving from one rental home to another, basically, for a lot of years, but learning that she didn't need to wait to be in her forever house to make it a home for their family each time that they could rest in, but also that she could welcome others into as well. Well, I purposefully wanted us to start this season out with focusing first on the home God is for us and the home He is building in us so that we have this clear picture now of our interior world and what we have to offer the world around us. As I said in one of the first episodes, of the season, our sense of home, especially spiritually, is so crucial. And you can probably see that now so that we know how and where we can recoup, where we're held, where we're known, where we can emerge from. It's the sense of place where we learn about ourselves and the way that we bring the kingdom of God to earth in our own unique way. And it's in understanding your interior home that we then get to marry it to our exterior home. And our homes are certainly something that we have to offer the world as part of that exterior where God uses us. I've told you this before, but I love it when people walk into our home and they say, Christy, I love your home so much. Like, It kind of makes me want to go put my pajamas on. (laughs) And inside, I'm like, mission accomplished, because my heart is that people would experience rest in our home. So it's beautiful to me when people say that. And what's beautiful is that this can be true of your one-bedroom apartment, if that's you. It doesn't have to mean that you have a four-bedroom home on a spread of land. It can actually be a 500-square-foot little place that you call your own that you kind of have to climb three flights of stairs to get to. It makes me think of my friend Kristen, who lives on her own in a tiny apartment. And it is tiny, but every square inch of her space is thought through, and it says home when you walk in. And I've been to several gatherings at her little apartment. In fact, she's had a noonday jewelry trunk show there once and a beauty counter party that I brought my girls to. And I just love the fact that she's using every square inch of that little place as a place to welcome others. Well, a few episodes ago, I told you about the spider house, which is not the house we're living in now, but the house that we lived in before our Atlanta journey. But once we got rid of those spiders, we did just about everything we could do to that house. I think I told you that we bought it for like next to nothing, and then our mortgage was suddenly less than our rent had been. So we had some extra money to be able to fix it all up. So much of buying a home is being able to look past the things that you can easily change. We learned how to change out toilets and sinks even. We learned how to strip wallpaper off the walls. We painted every surface of that house. We redid the kitchen. We put in a screened-in porch. We remodeled the master bath. We even put in wide plank floors all throughout that house. I had found this company up in New England that was this family-owned place, and they were the most beautiful white pine wide plank boards. Nathan's stressing even right now that I'm bringing these boards up. (laughs) They were shipped to us raw, 
And we had to like, you know, let them kind of chill for days and they had to kind of like, I don't know, season or something to our house, get the right temperature. And then Nathan and a friend, they nailed each of those boards down by themselves. We even had like variated widths so that some were wider than others and they were gorgeous. And the plan was that we were going to, you know, lay them ourselves, obviously, and then stain them. We even had to be careful, like with walking on them, we had to wear socks. It, the White pine is so temperamental. It's not like yellow pine. Yellow pine's like more of a classic hardwood that you kind of see everywhere. White pine, however, is one of the softest woods. So the idea, of course, is that once you kind of get them down and you get through the stress of, you know, having to be careful because they're so temperamental, the thought is that they're going to sort of self-distress along the way because they're so soft and you're going to end up with this, you know, beautifully distressed natural floors. Well, you live and learn, as I've said many times. We didn't really know exactly what we were doing when we stained the floors. <laughs> we knew that they were, you know, finicky, but this was like, you know, another level. Well, long story short, we royally messed up the stain, and we had to end up sanding the floors in several of the rooms where we started. And you're not supposed to sand these floors. That's the thing. Like, literally, there's they don't even make a sander that you can sand these with. It was so painful, and it's even still painful thinking back on it and talking about it. We had to go through a grueling process of finding the softest sander that we could, and even still, it made these little circular patterns in the wood. And here's the thing. If you walked in and you looked at the floors at the time, you wouldn't have noticed unless we like pointed it out to you. I mean, once we pointed it out, it would kind of be obvious, but if you just walked in, you'd just be like, oh, cool, just dress floors. So there's that. But, you know, we knew, and it was painful. <laughs> That's the only word I can think of. It's funny, by the time we got upstairs and we laid the floors and we stained them and we had the process down, in fact, some of our closets were the very last to get done. And it's hilarious because our closets looked the most perfect when it was all said and done. <laughs> Nathan kicked himself later wondering why on earth it didn't occur to him to start in our closets upstairs rather than in there. But, you know, you live and learn. Anyway, that was the first of many home improvement adventures that did not quite turn out like we had hoped. In fact, one thing I've learned through the years is that no project ever really turns out exactly how you hoped. There's always at least one thing that you're like, well, in hindsight, I would have done this or that differently. I've also learned that not one home improvement project ever truly fulfilled anything in me. There were those projects through the years that I would think, if only I could get that done, and then I would feel like this is just really home. Or, well, once the kitchen's remodeled, I'll finally be content. Now that I know this going in, as you can imagine, it just helps me release the whole process and the final product, knowing I just did my very best and it just is what it is. When we moved into the house that we're living in now, I might have told you this sometime when the podcast first started, but when we bought our home, there was an insurance claim already on the house to fix the hardwood floors because of an ice storm that had caused a leak in the master bedroom that ended up actually causing damage to the wood floors. Well, they told us in order to do it right, the whole first floor of the house would need to be restained in order for it to all match. So fully planning to get all of that taken care of before our stuff arrived on the semi, we began to talk about, you know, what's this process going to look like? How long is it going to take? And we started talking with the flooring company who was actually going to do the work. Well, it turned into quite an ordeal because we didn't actually love the color of the hardwoods when we, you know, first saw the house, but we of course learned that it would be way too expensive to have them restained and so what we did was we had them also in other places like resurface the wood floors which was a lot cheaper of an option just to kind of take the sheen off the top because they were just very shiny and they were kind of like a you know just like an orangey yellow kind of color 
But mix that with the high gloss, and it just was not our style. Our stuff is so much more informal and casual and just not high gloss. So even though deep down I really wanted to change the stain color of the floors, I settled for the resurfacing process that was so much cheaper. So we had it all done before our furniture arrived, and we had to give it like several days to let it cure. Well, the day before our truck was to arrive with all the furniture in the boxes, we took the kids and the dogs out to the house just to do some measuring and looking around. Well, the dogs went through the house, and we started realizing that their nails were scratching the wood floors. Like, everywhere we looked, there were these little white scratches everywhere. Well, Nathan and I are just looking at each other and not speaking. (laughs) So he calls the company to have them come out and look at it. The assessment was was that the product had not cured. And because of kind of just moisture or something at that time, like it was not going to cure. And so the only fix was, was that we had to literally strip it all down to the bare wood. So you guessed it. I got to change the color of my floors after all. <laughs> because it was going down to the bare wood, we could pick any color we wanted. And because it was not our fault that it didn't cure, we got the work done for really a majorly discounted price. It was such a crazy process, and we lived like total gypsies for about two months. But I think in the end, it all worked out how it was supposed to. But as I said before, goodness, the process. Our home that we owned for about seven years in Atlanta, which was just after the Spider House, like I said, was such a beautiful, peaceful place. Even though something in me always knew that it wasn't our forever house. I know I've told you about this home early on in the podcast, but I'll never forget being so weary in the house hunt. And this was one of the last houses that I saw in the process, if not the last one. But I'll never forget when I walked up to the front door, I noticed that there was a scripture reference etched into the stone wall, like right by the doorbell. It said, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Well, I knew it was probably the words of Jesus since it was in Matthew, but it was kind of bugging me the entire time I was looking at the house. I just wanted to know what it was. I loved what I saw on the inside. And it had more than enough room for Nathan to have a studio in the basement. And so I thought, this may be really it. So as I headed out to the car with my realtor, I remembered that I had my Bible in my backpack. So I opened it up. In the back of the car, I was like digging for my backpack. And I'm just, you know, taking out my Bible, looking at Matthew 11 right there in the cul-de-sac. I couldn't wait. And peace poured over me. I remember after this long house hunt, as I began to read it out loud, of course, you know, Matthew eleven twenty nine. 29, I should have known it then. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. It was indeed the words of Jesus. And as I looked at those words straight from my Savior, I looked back at the house from where I was standing in the cul-de-sac, and I knew it was home. Jesus has always led me by my heart. And he knew that I was weary that day and in that season of my life, and I needed to find rest. And he knows my heart and my tendency to do instead of just be. So because of that, the yoke I'm invited into is Jesus's way of doing life and being life, I should say. He knew me well enough to know that I would need that promise and particularly literally written on the doorpost of my house over the place where my family would dwell and where life would happen within those walls. Teachable moments, prayers, tears, fears, resting, testing, doubting, singing, growing, meals, celebration, life. It was full of all those things. That house was seven years of really sweet community. Um, Because the church we moved there to help plant didn't have a building for the first few years, Our home became a beautiful gathering place for those friends and family who were a part of that church plant. And of course, my brother and his wife, Amaryllis Kristen, and their three girls often gathered there with us after they actually kind of, they moved to Atlanta from Texas. And the adults usually ended up eating at the gigantic island because the farm table was often too full with the laughter of our six children combined. And there is nothing louder than cousin laughter for sure. But I got to host the young women that I mentored from church, and we'd take up every square inch of that island for our potluck gatherings. 
And those young women would tell you how that little den became a place where we would laugh till we cried, cry till we laughed. And as we'd open our hearts to each other, it was the sweetest, safest place. It was a place where we could take our shoes off, grab a cup of coffee, sometimes even spill the coffee on the rug, but it was okay because it was from a flea market. But we'd pile up on those comfy couches and we would go to Jesus together in the dim light of that cozy little den. And something about being in a home together just opened the floodgates. We did do some renovations to that house. The most major thing was that we renovated the entire kitchen about four years in. And this was the house that I told you that I wrote the song Invade from ceiling to floor behind the shiplap walls that went in. Well, anyway, when we decided to renovate, I had a friend tell me about a couple of young ladies in town who are really amazing at dreaming up beautiful but casual spaces that are sort of that cottage look that I was looking for. So Anissa Darnell, who is now with Truth & Co., and Julie Holloway, they are both amazing at what they do, and they helped me literally transform the kitchen and breakfast area and the little den of that home They created the design for us, and then their friend Daniel Harper, who's with Renew Properties there in the Atlanta area, he executed the plan for us, and it turned out absolutely incredible. I shopped on a shoestring budget to do all the finishing details because that's just what I do. Nathan and I often laugh to ourselves about the crazy bargains that I find and honestly like how rigged our house is. In fact, our kids knew at the time not to pull on the curtains in that den because they were just that. They were rigged. To get the look of one long curtain rod, which, you know, you have to have custom made. And yes, I'm, you know, giving you a riggers tip here, but we bought basic wooden rods like from Lowe's and we glued them together (laughs) with hard as nails. And then we would support it with a wooden bracket right underneath where you glue it, making sure that bracket's right in place directly underneath that section that was glued together so you can't see it. And voila, riggers tip. Our contractor, Daniel Harper, as I was telling you before, he must have walked away and laughed so many times to himself after I would give him some bonkers idea in order to save money on the kitchen reno. (laughs) I mean, he's brilliant at coming up with ways to stay on the budget, but even Daniel drew the line at some of my crazy suggestions. But I don't know if you're like this, though, but even when I stay on a budget, I still end up feeling this weird tension about being so passionate about creating beautiful spaces in my home, spending money on things that seemingly don't matter in the scheme of life is certainly a part of that tension. I remember asking Anissa about it at the time, wondering if she'd ever struggled, you know, with the fact that her passion is design and creating beautiful homes for people and maybe even people who, you know, are not on a rigorous budget like me. (laughs) So I just mean that sometimes it can seem also trivial, I guess, in the light of the kingdom. It's that, you know, interior versus exterior and even extravagant kind of And even if you are frugal, well, where I sort of landed on it all was that we can hold both sides of the tension and actually let the tension sort of shape us as we pursue the things that we love, whatever that may be. And we can move free in our gifting, yet with hearts completely bowed to Jesus and softened to the world around us and how we can be a home to them. And in my adventures of renovating, I've found myself serving and hosting a completely different group of people in my home that I never would have gotten to otherwise. Anissa and Julie, after our kitchen and den was complete, they asked if I'd be interested in having Better Homes and Gardens come and do a feature on our home. Well, I'm not going to lie. I was excited to say the least. And after some time, Better Homes did actually do that feature on our home. It actually took forever. But they finally sent photographers, and they staged our home, and we got to dress up and be in the pictures and even get some little family pictures out of it. But just like all the features you see all the time when you flip through Better Homes and Gardens, you know, we were like a four-page spread in that. It was absolutely surreal. But after the photo shoot came this interview with a lady named Kit from Better Homes, and she would write the article that would go along with the feature. So I remember I was sitting on the floor in my closet in our master bedroom when I was talking on the phone with her. And it was, you know, at that time, one of the only places that I could always go that was quiet when the kids were littler. I remember sitting there on the floor praying before the interview because I wanted to try to somehow convey my heart in it all. I wanted so much to point to Jesus, 
But here I was still holding that tension I was telling you about. On one side, you have to come to terms with the fact that everything on earth is quickly fading and you can't take any of it with you, so store up your treasures in heaven, right? (laughs) Our world is beaten down with needs, both spiritually and physically. I see it, I feel it, and it makes my heart bend towards the Lord every day to know exactly how I can help fill those needs as I represent Him to the world around me. And then on the other side, there's an undeniable pull in me to express whose I am through the beauty of music and aesthetics, textures, colors, light and sound mixed with marriage, kids, grace, love, forgiveness, and life. It's just beautiful. Well, around that same time, I got to host a team from Country Living Magazine in that same home. This time it wasn't really a feature on our home, but instead they used our home as a workspace to create one of the main features for their November issue that year. And it was such a gift. I can hardly even explain it. Just to get to share my home and to invite Jesus into that whole day and that His presence would be known and felt, my prayer was that every dot would be connected back to Him. Every conversation, the sense of rest that everyone was saying they felt, the music I played, the food I served, the laughter, even our dogs roaming around, bringing smiles to everybody's faces. This is holding both sides of the tension, keeping it all in perspective that these things are temporary, but how God can use the exterior of our lives to always, always point to the beautiful interior where He is always, always at work in us. I remember reading in Mike Willen Smith's first book, The Nesting Place, that she shared this similar tension, and I love what she had to say about it. And I may even have brought this up in our interview with her that you're going to hear later, but she tells about a Compassion International child that they were sponsoring. He wrote them a letter, and he was sharing with them how beautiful his house is. And he said, It is made of concrete blocks, the roof is made of tin sheets, and the floor is made of cement. We have water that we get from pipes, and we have electricity, and it is good to have it because it helps me do my homework at night. Well, he continues this time with questions like, is your house big? Is your house beautiful? How many windows does your house have? Well, Michael and shares that she never wanted to lie to a child more in her life. In fact, she knows she can't answer him because it would sound far too extravagant. So she explains that even though her home was a modest rental at the time, it is still extravagant to most of the world. And most of us in America could say the same thing. So the question becomes, where do you draw the line, right? How much is too much to spend on anything? How much should you spend on chairs to sit on, tables to eat at, lamps to see with? If it's really about a limit and a threshold and where we draw the line, as Mike Willem calls it, then there's going to be a lot of judging, right? Measuring and sizing one another up to make sure everyone's staying within the boundaries of godliness. (laughs) She concludes, each circumstance is different. It's not about a threshold, but about the heart. And the real question isn't whether it's right or wrong for me to live in a big, you know, in quotes, house. The real question is, what am I doing with what I've been given? I love that answer. And if it's really, truly about the heart, it will translate in any size home in any economy. When I was about 17 years old, my parents took me to Kenya, Africa. And as you can imagine, it changed my life. As I've told you before, my dad has been a pastor all my life, and it's not the easiest being a pastor's kid as you, you know, very much feel like you're growing up in a fishbowl for all to see. But every once in a while, because of being a pastor's kid, you get to experience some things that are pretty life-changing. We had an older couple in our church who were retired missionaries, and their son, who had his own family, was still based in Kenya at the time. And they were going to be our contact for this crusade-type mission. We'd be going into fairly remote areas and bringing handmade gifts for the kids that helped us tell the story of Jesus to them. And we'd just be loving on the people and telling them about Jesus. That was our one mission. 
And there were many people flying in with us from different groups from the States, and we all flew through London, and we got to tour the city, which again, for a 17-year-old, my goodness, so amazing. We saw a bit of the city and a bit of the countryside a little bit before we headed on our way to Mombasa, which is where we landed. Well, many people in the groups coming from the States, they had to stay in the city for two weeks, and they got one weekend out in the country. Well, because we had those missionaries on the ground that we knew there personally, we actually got to skip the busy city of Mombasa, and we stayed two full weeks out in the plains at this beautiful place called Voy Safari Lodge. If you'd like a visual on it, actually, I Googled it, and it's still there, and it's still beautiful. You can Google it on TripAdvisor. It's called Voy Safari Lodge. It's spelled V-O-I. And you might want to get a visual on the pool area for this next story. First of all, imagine a 17-year-old girl who's never been out of the Bible Belt, who just saw London for the first time, now showing up to a safari lodge in the middle of the African desert. It's pure magic. And add in that that girl's Walkman was blasting Toto singing, I bless the rains down in Africa, and you've got a personal revival happening. (laughs) Anyway, all our meals took place in this open-air dining room that would just take your breath away. If you can get a visual on that, you'll see that you can see for miles out onto this African plain, and the water hole for all the wild animals is just below. Well, the only trouble is while you're eating is that you have to mind your plate and your belongings because of the monkeys. They would seriously come and take toast right off of your plate if you let them. Well, of course, the whole time you're thinking, you know, zoo, you know, that these creatures are somehow contained and trained. No, these are like wild animals. And actually, I learned that they can turn on you at any moment. And here's how I learned it. If you can get a visual on that pool, if not now, look it up later. But a friend and I went to lay out, you know, because When do you get to lay out in Africa in the sun? And it's just beautiful. Well, this was the moment that I learned that some European women love to do that without tops on. So there's that. (laughs) Well, anyway, about five minutes into us and our peace and quiet of just laying there, we hear this very strange and loud noise. And it was way in the distance at first. It kind of just sounded like a flock of birds or something. But as it came closer, I don't really know how to describe what it sounded like. I would say like wild banshee, but I don't even know what that is. (laughs) All I know was that it was a commotion. And my friend and I got up to look over the edge of the pool down by the water hole. And we see, I kid you not, like 50 or 60 monkeys running towards the pool. Well, they scale the side of the cliff that the pool is built on and they literally start surrounding us and coming in on our stuff and like taking our things. Well, my friend had a small little like paper bag that she had her flip-flops in, and the monkey, I guess, thought it was food, so he was rummaging through everyone's things, and he grabbed that bag. Well, he gets up on the pool railing, and he's standing there with the bag like he had you know, got the prize. Well, I didn't know any better, so I got up in front of him, and I challenged him on it. I mean, he's standing there in front of me holding the bag of flip-flops, and I'm like, you're not going to win. Well, I had no idea what I was thinking, but I just reached out and I snatched the bag right out of his hands. (laughs) Well, he lunged at me, but quickly he changed his mind and he ran off. And so did all the other monkeys all at once. And I was like, that's right, you better run, thinking that I had shown him who's boss until I hear this beautiful, thick Kenyan accent over my shoulder. And I turn around and it's the game ranger that works at the lodge. And he has a massive stick type thing (laughs) that has like a little noose on the end of it. And he's holding it in his hands. Well, apparently all the monkeys saw him coming up behind me with the big stick that they could get poked or even wrangled with. And they started running. Well, the ranger looked at me and he smiled, but then his face kind of got serious. And he said, never challenge a monkey. He said, they look cute and nice, but they are vicious and they will bite you and they carry all kinds of diseases that will kill you. So right about then, I thank God for my Kenyan ranger angel who came to my rescue. (laughs) And I went and sat down with a new respect for monkeys that come to steal toast from your plate in the mornings. Well, as I said, we got to stay two beautiful weeks at that lodge. And so we came to know the staff really well. Each morning, we'd head out village to village, literally hut to hut, getting to share the gospel with families and play with the kids. 
When we were out on the go in the villages, we had to be careful, I remember, about what we ate. I remember one of the things that I could eat was a boiled egg that these little ladies would sell in the town market. It was a boiled egg wrapped in a little bit of foil, and then inside of your foil packet, you got another little tiny foil packet, and it had like a little pinch of salt in it. So you could sprinkle your boiled egg with a little bit of salt, and I remember it just tasted like a little bit of home at least America anyway. (laughs) But one day when we were going hut to hut, I vividly remember visiting a young woman's home. I'll never forget it when we walked in thinking how cozy it actually was, even though it was literally made of mud. It looked as if she had swept it corner to corner that morning. Everything was neat and orderly and in its proper place. And the only light in the house was coming through the open door that she had so graciously swung open for us. And I remember that I was stunned by her beautiful smile and her raspy laugh as she talked with the interpreters. The interpreter that was with us, his name was Van. And he turned to me at one point and he said, Christy, she wants to make you a treat. Well, he took me over towards the stove and said, she wants you to reach your hand underneath there. Well, I looked at him like he was crazy, and I said, yeah, right. Well, I looked down, and I saw that underneath the stove was a deep hole dug into the dirt, creating this little cavern under there. Well, Van assured me and kind of winked at me and said, you know, it was okay. Well, I wasn't sure if I could trust Van or not. This was the same guy who that morning had taunted an elephant with his car while we were in it. (laughs) His wife was slapping him on the arm in the front seat saying, Ben, stop, you are scaring them. Well, he was trying to get the elephant to get out of the road and the elephant was clearly not cooperating. So Van would kind of get up in his business with the car to try to get him to move out of the way. And by that, I mean, he was driving our car towards the elephant's front legs and the elephant just stood facing us, like towering over our little car. Well, at one point he starts swinging one of his front legs back and forth And that is a for sure sign, if you want to Google that (laughs) and get a visual on that, that an elephant is getting ready to charge you. Well, all the while, Van is just smiling and laughing and having fun, and he would put it in reverse, you know, get away from the elephant. It was a ride. Well, anyway, Van also loved to take us, you know, in the nighttime to kind of go off-roading, so he would show us things that were kind of off the beaten path. One of those things was a fresh lion kill. I, of course, didn't know how very rare at the time this experience was. Well, Van knew right where to find all those amazing things, and he would kind of have a you know knack with you know following lions and figure out where they were. I'll never forget us driving up on a pack of lions who were having a zebra for dinner. And they just sat staring at our car while they were feasting on this gigantic beast that was my high school mascot, by the way. <laughs> we were the Claremore Zebras. Our colors were red and white. I don't know. I have no idea. But anyway, all these animals I had only ever seen at the zoo, as I said before, were right here in front of me doing what they do out in the wild. It was incredible. But as you can imagine, as I slipped my hand down inside the hole under that stove, slowly, as I watched Van carefully, making sure he didn't have any tricks up his sleeve, All I know is that furry little creatures began to squirm around my wrists, and I let out a squeal of fear as any high school girl would and pulled my hand back as fast as I could. Well, the young woman whose home it was and Van and my parents, they all roared with laughter. Van had already explained to my parents what I was about to encounter. Well, after confirmation from Van that it was not rats— I reached my hand back in and I pulled some furry skin until the creature came out into view and out came the cutest little guinea pig, just like one you'd find at PetSmart in America. And as any teenage girl would do, I let out a, oh, he's so cute. But as you may have guessed, this was in fact the treat that she wanted to cook for me. (laughs) Van began to tell us that This was very generous hospitality because many of the people in the village could not afford such a delicacy. Thankfully, we escaped having to have barbecued guinea pig because we had to catch up with the rest of the group, but it has never left me how she presented her home to us that day. The light from her open door, the tidiness and calm, the simplicity, 
the guinea pigs that brought smiles and laughter, but above all else, her willingness to share her extravagance with us. This was a woman who knew what to do with what she had been given. Jenny Shute, in her book, Waking Up Gray, says, When we gaze upon the beauty of God, our art tends to tell a story. It's the same in songwriting as it is with my home. I'm overcome by the beauty of God, and I'm compelled to express it with color and texture, light and song, and to fill up all the senses with who He is. In Hebrews 11, 13 through 16, we see some of the faith-filled sojourners who have gone before us. They were all agents of change. The home of God on the road and on the go, understanding that there was more than what met the eye. Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Jacob, Joseph, and Moses, to name a few. It says, All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had an opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for He has prepared a city for them. What a prayer for our lives, not just our homes and our art and the work of our hands, but our very lives that we would display in all that we do and who we are, who God is. And not only is there a better country coming, but it is here in our hearts now. That's what it looks like to hold both sides of the tension, heaven touching earth every day in us and through us, His not-so-perfect people, to a world that needs hope and, yes, even beauty to see that hope and experience it. Sure, there will be promises unfulfilled this side of heaven and things that we might never take hold of, but we can wave at them from afar with faith-filled eyes, knowing we've seized the moments and stewarded well what we've been given. The beginning of Hebrews 11 says this, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is not ceasing to hope in the promises of God. That word assurance there in the Greek means confidence or persistent hope. I love that. My ESV study Bible says here, by defining faith as assurance and conviction, the author indicates that biblical faith is not a vague hope grounded in an imaginary wishful thinking. Instead, faith is a settled confidence that something in the future, something that is not yet seen but has been promised by God, will actually come to pass because God will bring it about. Thus, biblical faith is not blind trust in the face of contrary evidence, not an unknowable leap in the dark. Rather, biblical faith is a confident trust in the eternal God who is all-powerful, infinitely wise, eternally trustworthy, the God who has revealed Himself in His Word and in the person of Jesus Christ, whose promises have proven true from generation to generation and who will never leave or forsake his own. As I was sitting there reading that, I have to believe that this is what truly attracts the world, those lost without Jesus, to the believer who holds confidence in what God said will come to pass and believes it will happen. I also believe it's what can make our art or our craft or our thing, whatever it is, have the hope of Jesus in it. It's the it factor that makes our homes feel different. It's our countenance. Even when we adorn ourselves with what we wear, we can adorn even our bodies with a sense of persistent hope, right down to the smile of God that we wear across our faces. I think this not only frees us, but it compels us to create. So let's capture, let's design, let's sing, let's draft and plan, sow and build, teach and lead, cook and comfort Carrying in our hearts a better home and a better garden, <laughs> a better country, heaven meeting earth everywhere we go, the smile of God in your eyes and on everything you touch. What a beautiful prayer for your new year coming up, right? That the marriage of your interior and exterior life would bring the home of God with you wherever you go, that all the beauty you stir up even within the floor walls of your home or your kitchen, it all matters. 
I so hope you enjoy this interview today with Michaelyn Smith, who is also an agent of change as she helps others steward well this gift of home. I can't believe this is a wrap for the season. As I said, I want to thank you all for your love and your support for this podcast. Please pray for me as I'm praying about what's next for next season. I am going to take the month of January off from the podcast to just rest, to recoup, and get some vision for what's ahead. Thank you so much for all of you who support us financially each month. I just tell you this all the time, but it's like wind in our sails. It means so much. It's a massive blessing to us. I pray that you and yours have the most blessed Christmas, that you truly get time to enjoy each other, to rest to reflect and remember together, and that God will engage your heart in the most beautiful way as we enter 2019. Enjoy this interview. Merry Christmas to you. Happy New Year. I'll talk to you soon. Well, I am so excited to be sitting here with Michael and Smith. I've had your book for a really long time, your first one. Really? Yes. I have it. It's upstairs in my little craft area. Oh, I love hearing that. Thanks for having me here today. It's fun to be at your actual house. Well, thank you. It's fun to have you at my house. And, you know, I made sure it was all tidy for you. It's so warm and inviting. (laughs) I love it here. I want to move in. (laughs) Thank you so much. You've been kind of just traveling around this week Mm -hmm. and... Because you have a new book out. I do, yeah. So it's fun. It's been fun to meet people. And you forget that, oh, I'm going to go to these places and people are going to come see me. And they all like me. So oh. you don't have to be as nervous because there's no haters. They don't. The haters don't care to come. <laughs> so fun. And you're here in Nashville. Of course, you're in Franklin right now, yeah. my home. But um, you got to kind of do a thing last night with a lot of creatives here. And we yes. were saying it's like a creative hub for... Yeah creative women mm-hmm. you guys are spoiled with that Aww. everyone is here it's amazing it's sweet mm-hmm. I love that you did that um I didn't get to go because I had a meeting at church but um I know that was wonderful and people enjoyed it so it was much. fun yeah good so this book cozy minimalist home yeah more style less stuff yep um I'm excited to get my hands on one and kind of Oh, you don't have it yet? I don't. Ah. We we will give you one. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just like, I love books like that. I kind of collect them. I have like a whole collection upstairs. But um, I'm the kind of person with magazines that I will look through the whole thing and only do the pictures at first. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And then I'll kind of like go back and read some of the articles, Mm -hmm. the ones that I think the homes look interesting or whatever. Um, But I love visuals. And so... I think it's really fun to have the mix of mm-hmm. storytelling and the pictures of homes and what you can do with homes. I agree. I wish every book had photos in it, actually. I know. <laughs> I wish. I know. And it's expensive to do that, isn't it? Like, to have I think so. That's books. what they tell yeah. me. I mean. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, like, I'm saying, like, if I were to write a book and I tried to put photos through it, apparently, like, that's, yeah. like, a thing. I think it is like a thing. Expensive. Yeah. But it's fun to have those visuals well okay so tell me a little bit about just you and like where you grew up and your family and yeah well I grew up in southern Indiana small little town yeah we lived down the street from the hospital we had corn growing all (laughs) over the place well we had an alley behind our house so that was kind of our little adventure walk down the alley and go to our friend's house I have a little sister she's three and a half years younger Emily P. Freeman do you know Emily no. Okay, she's a writer and she has a podcast. A lot of people know okay. my sister and they know me, but they don't know they realize that we're sisters. Oh yeah, goodness. so that's been I'm really fun. Look it up now. Yeah, I'm you probably up. have come across her and then yeah. realize. So we both kind of have the same job, which okay. makes this so much fun. And our dad is—he um, has a book as well, and he's kind of Seriously? in the same genre. We just like to do things together. I love that. <laughs> it's slightly nerdy, slightly amazing, and fun. Yeah. That's yeah. really cool. Mm-hmm. What is your dad's book about? He wrote wrote about book about family. Okay. Yeah, so he was on radio for years. We that's why we moved around a lot as kids. Okay. Um so we lived in like Indiana and Iowa, South Carolina, and he mm-hmm. just he'd be part of a morning show and they would just up and be like, Hey, we're we're moving in two weeks and this is where we're going. They would get fired and hired in the same yeah. couple of days. Uh, so we did move around a little bit growing yeah. up, which I hated, but I also think it was really good good for me and yeah. my personality like I have to learn to meet new people mm-hmm. and learn a new school and all of those things that seem really frightening yeah but looking back you're like oh 
that was probably really good for me. And I know Chad and I moved 14 times. And I read so that, yeah. it... I've seen all your homes. We've moved so many <laughs> times, and it's so exhausting. I can barely remember my zip code. But I think wow. it had, you know, the thing that you hate also has some perks. And I think, oh, the Lord has used that yeah. in so many ways. I mean, in our kids, just it's been good for them mm-hmm. and their personalities. And my son is in college. He still checks his high school teachers, like, jokes, and it's oh, ridiculous. That's awesome. <laughs> but for me, you know, personally, I think it helped me learn how to set up a home quickly yeah. and um, creatively. And so it was really good, like, hands-on schooling for me when it comes to making home. Yeah, I love mm-hmm. that. So you have three boys, right? We have three boys, okay. yeah. Are they, like, have they been patient through the years with all mom's decorating fluffiness? They think it's normal. (laughs) You know, however we are, our kids think it's normal. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, cozy's normal, guys. Yeah, yeah. And they do appreciate coziness. You know, I think it's not really the visual stuff that stands out to them. It's more like the the feeling, like, oh, this blanket, mom, make sure you get those really cushy blankets. And the, the scents that are in the home and the music that's playing like they those are the things that I think yeah. stand out to them that they remember and that's a good reminder for me because I can get stuck on the visual and forget yeah. like oh we experience home through all of our senses that yeah. makes a lot of sense and for my boys to remind me of that I really appreciate yeah well I was going to ask you that of just kind of those family spaces for yeah. y'all like where do you hang the most mm-hmm. and then I know you said blankets and it's <laughs> like what are some of those things that you feel like I know my kids are the same, and I even kind of wrote down a list. I had them tell me some stuff. Oh, that's so smart. You know, like, what are the things that remind you of home? And, like, yeah. I'm going to do that. Yeah. I love and just that. see what they say. What did you just say? Well, it was kind of those same things. It okay. was like, you know, the music. We have a record player over there. We mm-hmm. have, like, the Sonos that we play sometimes. But it's, like, candles. It's, mm-hmm. you know, they said, the, they. I think their first thing was the blankets. Okay. Like, that's really yes. sweet. Isn't that yeah. funny? Mm-hmm. To have, I and mean, we have like a basket where we can just, you know, collect blankets and yep. put them in a pile. But where do y'all hang the most? Like, we hang out in our family room. We have a small house, so we just have like one main hangout mm-hmm. space. We watch The Office together. No yeah. shame in that. Yeah, yeah teenage <laughs> boys with a sense of humor. Totally. So it is so fun to get to laugh with them and then hear them quoting it later so you know we have cats and a dog and so a cat is always on someone's lap and I forgot Mm -hmm. how snuggly and cozy that makes a home just to like who's the cat gonna sit on tonight everyone has washable blankets that they can spill coffee on I have my fancy blankets you know you get Mm. your pretty anthropology throw but I've learned like that's the one that leans on the ladder against the wall in my room (laughs) no cats lay on that but most of our throws are like you can put them in the wash and pull them out and we're all cozied up we even use them in the summer because we like that but yeah we hang out in the family room together for the most part um so there are phone chargers shoes backpacks like that is the stuff of life and yeah. now that we have one who's gone away to college it I don't know you see that differently like used to be I would think I need to provide like this cute little cubby with everyone having their own name and section with hooks so yeah. we can organize which there's nothing wrong with that it's beautiful I would love to have that we don't have a space in our house for that and now I think Gosh, in another year and a half, there will be no backpacks yeah. on the floor and no stinky shoes. Nathan and, always says that to me. Yeah. He's like, you're going to miss this. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And there's, I don't know, there's something about, too, just having some spaces in your home or some things that you just kind of, I know my closet's one that's like, if it's, sometimes it's just messy and sometimes it's just the kind of messy that I need when everything else has to be on. Yes. <laughs> it's so true. I love that you said that. those, like, little places in our home I feel like but mm-hmm. yeah so one of the things I always talk about on the podcast is um, themes threaded through mm-hmm. um, even like from childhood where maybe you had like I mean did you find yourself like decorating your room or like yes. arranging it and things? Yes. like I don't know I just think that is amazing I've heard several people that kind of do what you do mm-hmm. say that yeah so I think did. a lot of us can look back to childhood and kind of see what we were really passionate about or into and I know for me first of all just playing Barbies you know my sister wanted to have really dramatic stories and histories and you know all the Barbies had names I could never keep up with all of that I just wanted to make their house and have play with the furniture so she got the people we were no fun together I'm sure she was really frustrated with me 
But that Barbie furniture was so much fun to set up shops and homes and be creative. I would go around the house and be like, oh, I'm going to grab this off my mom's dresser and this, you know, Mm -hmm. and put it in the Barbie house. And I'm really grateful that my mom, first of all, let us have, we had a room that we didn't have to clean up every night. So we could set up an elaborate whatever. And that was kind of our domain. And I look back and think, oh, I bet that really helped with our creativity. Like we just had this place where we could do whatever you know be kids and set stuff up and and leave it and come back to it the next day and continue and I appreciate that and um my room and you know growing up my mom let us do whatever we wanted to our rooms we rented from time to time especially with dad and radio if we didn't know we would be in a town for very long Uh, I can remember pressing like little weed flowers in a book and then I don't know why, but I used hairspray and put them on. <laughs> why did I use hairspray? And like glued them, like aerosol hairspray and glued them to the um, like trim around oh, my closet door. Funny. I know. And I'm what, my mom let me do that. What in the world? And the hairspray made it stick? And the hairspray made it stick. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of scary. Isn't that weird? I know, like, what, what came over me? But so if mom and dad would go out of town, I would make my sister, like we would stay by ourselves from time to time. And instead of having a party, we would rearrange the furniture and surprise them. Oh, oh my God, that was so fun. <laughs> That's so sweet. Isn't that funny? I love yeah. it. Yeah. Well, kind of on your journey, I guess, of like, I know it was probably trial by fire, too, of like, you know, 14 homes. And mm-hmm. like you said, moving around, sometimes it was an apartment or sometimes, it, you know, a small space or not knowing if you're going to stay there. Um what have you felt like it was is there been like a spiritual process that God's taught oh, you like, gosh, yes. through the years is there like maybe one that rises to the top mm-hmm. that you're like this is I feel like God always takes me through this process right. through is there something that yeah. rises to the top oh a lot of things I think you know how they say like the way to a man's heart is through their stomach <laughs> I think for me and for a lot of women the way to a woman's heart is through her home and yeah. so I've I learn a lot of lessons about myself mm-hmm. and God and life through what we're dealing with what with whatever home we're in so Mm -hmm. I'm grateful for that and then I hope that in my books it feels deeper than home and I know for me like the big struggle has always been just um imperfection and not because I'm a perfectionist but I think maybe because I feel like in order to or I have felt like in the past like in order to really have people over or in order to really use and enjoy my home I need to be finished or it needs to be done or it needs to be better or more of something and when you move a lot and you know you're going to be moving in another year or two and you don't even have control over what you're going to do like you know there's no way there it's not going to ever be perfect so you have to make a decision we're either going to live fully where we are and accept the circumstances and be content with what we have and grateful or just wait And I waited for a while, and it felt like a huge waste of time. And Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that anymore. And so I just thought, we're just going to have to live right where we are in -hmm. this imperfection and do what we feel called to do with our home right where it is and make it, you know, be creative and have fun with it. But also um, know that it's people before home and before beauty and before finished and all of those things. I wanted to have a home where we could enjoy and connect and relax and if I couldn't model that and be that in my own home, if I wasn't relaxed, if I wasn't always worried about how it looks, you know, that covers mm-hmm. so many different areas of our life. Right. But that was something I really had to learn through home was just um, being grateful for what we had. And looking back, I so am. Um, and being able to deal with the imperfectness of it all. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's so great. Um, well, I was thinking about um, the word minimalist. Mm-hmm. and. <laughs> Um, I'm a pack rat. Um, <laughs> you're real good at it because your house doesn't look like that at all. <laughs> but, um, like I save things. That white chair over there has been covered, Aww. I think, seriously four times. I love that. Um, like people will ask me, you know, when I post my home, you know, where did you get that coffee table? Or, you know, it's like seven years ago, it was a hundred dollars at <sighs> a, you know, but I do save things, mm-hmm. um. And so I was, but I was thinking about the word minimalist, and I guess in my mind that always reminds me of like the stark, cold, like mm-hmm. um, you know, real modern house with right. like nothing out, you know, everything's put away. Um, but you added this word cozy in front of it, which I love, obviously, and we all want to mm-hmm. know about what cozy is, especially this time of year. Yeah. Um, so what does it look like? You know, what? Tell me about the minimalist part of it, because 
I do want to learn. I'm going to take notes. I love that question. I think for so long, I felt the same way. Like, I stereotyped minimalists. Like, oh, yeah. it's a bachelor with a uniform. They wear a white shirt and black jeans. They have a black sofa, zero pillows, yeah. zero throws, zero curtains on the wall. Right. Like, But there was something also that drew me to reading minimalist blogs and the whole simplicity movement. Um, but as I would read those blogs, I'd be like, all wrapped up in my throws with my cat and my pillows and my cup of coffee, you know, like my feet up with my slippers, like totally maximalist and cozified. Um, but you know, the real definition of minimal is just enough to meet a goal. And so it's subjective. Like your enough to meet a goal might look different than Mm -hmm. mine enough to meet a goal, but it's our job to figure that out. And I think that's where I went wrong for so long. I just felt like, oh, cozy is my style. So Therefore, the more the better. If I like three throw pillows, then 10,000 will be even better. You know, I didn't have a stopping point. Gotcha. But when I saw cozy and minimal instead of like a style, but as a tool that helped me, so the minimal helps me have a simple, peaceful home. The cozy really helps serve the people. So when cozy has a purpose, it has a stopping point. But I feel like when cozy doesn't have a purpose, at least in my life, it becomes clutter really mm-hmm. fast because I okay. love beautiful things. Like, I love everything at Target, everything at Home Goods. Yeah. Like, I, I can find a good home for it all. Totally. But it will drive me insane. And I'll spend all my time, you know, having stuff all over my table that I have to move for every meal. Right. So I really thought, is there a place in this world for people like us who appreciate simplicity? but who also love those warm, beautiful, inviting things that really make a home, where do we stand? And I think we stand in the middle, which can be hard because that means we are evaluating and we are always in, and that's harder. It's so much easier to be like, I'm a minimalist. I will have nothing else ever, which that's not even how minimalists are, but that's how I thought. Mm -hmm. Or I'm a maximalist, everything out all the time forever, but somewhere in the middle where we have to pay attention and maybe we're bringing things in, but we're also actively putting things out depending on mm-hmm. what our family needs, how we're living in our home, what our current needs are. That was where I found myself. And it comes with some responsibility because I did. That meant I had to edit from time to time. And I was really bad at editing. Yeah. <laughs> well, in my intro of this podcast, I talked about sort of holding both sides of the tension of um, how much is too much. We just mm-hmm. kind of talked about that. But also kind of spending. Mm-hmm. Like for me through the years, I've felt... Um, a lot of guilt and you know we redid a kitchen before like in our house in Georgia and that was you know we were on a shoestring budget for for us especially in most cases of redoing a kitchen but it was still a big expense for us and and I found myself like nitpicking and of course like I you know go to TJ Maxx and Home Goods and like I'm not you know going to Restoration Hardware and picking out a, a room you know I wish I could but like even in my like shoestring budget, I'll find myself going, gosh, there's people who can't do even this. And, you know, and I, I find myself like, I, you know, that tension of like wanting to make a home and wanting to make it beautiful. Um, at the same time, like, you know, it feels like, am I, you know, is this okay to spend mm-hmm. this on my home? And mm-hmm. I, I saw that you uh, wrote about that once when your compassion child had described his little house to you and then ask what your house was like. Right. Right. Cause at the time we were living in a rental that I didn't like, you know, yeah. it was a few, it was much bigger than the house we're in now. It wasn't my style. It wasn't the house that I imagined us in. And he wrote us a note uh, in one of his letters and said, um, I have whatever this many windows and doors. How many do you have? Oh. And I didn't want to send him my answer because yeah. it was a lot. Yeah. I had to count. It was a big number. Yeah. <laughs> and I do think, um, I think we know we're on the right path when we question that and when we're aware of that discrepancy. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not thinking about that, then that's the red flag. But when you are, mm-hmm. then I feel like you know you can move forward. And um, the reason we want a pretty home is not so that we can show off or be in a magazine. We want a pretty home so that we can use it the way we feel called to use it. And we can use it the way we have always dreamed of using that home. And that doesn't mean that we need, you know, waterfalls and glass (laughs) countertops or whatever the latest thing is. But also, when we are not comfortable in our own home, we don't use it. When we hate our sofa, we either ask people to come over and we are um, distracted by the sofa that we hate or we don't ask people to come over at all. Mm -hmm. And so I do think a lot of us 
maybe are putting off buying that sofa, not necessarily because of budget, and sometimes it is, and that's a whole different thing, Um, but because the decision feels so big and we're so responsible, but instead of going ahead and making that hard decision and, you know, taking that risk and buying that sofa, we put it off and then we put off life. And I know that's not what we're Mm -hmm. called to do at all, and that's not how we're called to use our home. And um, I want people, I want women to use and love their home and really... I write these books so that we can kind of forget about our house. Like, that's my goal. Like, if we're inviting people over and thinking about ourselves, like, my outfit and my house and my, you know, how I come across and we're doing it wrong, isn't it the goal to get in a place where we don't even think about our home anymore? When we have people over, we're like, oh, I wonder how they're doing since, you know, their daughter went to college or they're gluten-free. Let me make sure I have the right snacks. Like, that's when we know we're doing it right, when we forget about our house. And Mm -hmm. sometimes it takes doing a few things putting some money or some creativity or some um, good ideas or some time into our home so that we're able to forget about it and focus on the people. I love that. So you offer online classes, right? I do. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. So I have (laughs) seasonal classes, like winter, spring, summer, and fall. So it's the seasons and celebrations. Because I found if I get my home first ready for the season, so if I get it ready for winter, I don't have to rely as heavily on, like, the Christmas aisle at Hobby Lobby, which I love. (laughs) I'm addicted to. But I hate packing up those red and green bins and feeling like that's my full-time job. So I really thought about, like, how can I get my home, like, seasonal supplies? So the firewood, the cozy throws that we talked about, the Mm -hmm. flannel sheets, like, really thinking about getting it ready for the season. And also what that does is... That way, after Christmas, I don't hate everything. I'm like, I'm not like, ah, I gotta get this out. Still put up a tree, still put up our stockings, but it's more like winter decor, serving the five senses in winter. And so I made the four seasonal classes with that. It's my favorite. I like writing books, but I love making classes. It's so fun. So like it's me talking and it's slides and it's music and it's dorky and it's the best thing ever. So we'll have to send you access to that. Okay. And it's live. It's recorded so people can watch it anytime. So once they're in, it's like, you can watch all four season classes right now. You can, once you have it, you can look at it whenever you want, as often as you want, never, whatever. Okay. Mm -hmm. So it's, the Christmas season's already upon us. I mean, according to Hallmark Channel, it happens <laughs> right before Halloween. Absolutely. <laughs> Do you have like just any quick tips for people like getting their tree out and decorating for Christmas? I do. You know, I think, um, especially thinking about the transition bet- between the seasons, I think we think, okay, so I'm going to go from fall to winter on a Saturday for two hours. And like <laughs> to really rethink and allow ourselves, like in nature, the seasons are really gradual. And we see like a little bit of change here, a little bit of change there. And so to give ourselves permission to do that in our home as well and not feel like, okay, I've got two hours. We are going to like revamp this house from top to bottom. Right. Like just to give yourself some time and know you can sprinkle a few, you know, some evergreen this weekend and maybe some twinkle lights next weekend and add extra candles the next and like let it just be a gradual process that you enjoy. Because wouldn't the worst thing be to dread getting your home ready for the holidays? Yeah, absolutely. Oh, goodness. By the way, taking things down. Like, do you have a method, like Christmas stuff, when you, it is time to put it away? Yes. Well, and I know we both said, oh, I hate taking it down. And that's one of the reasons I tried to make it more simple. Like, so I try to have, like, maybe just one bin of actual Christmas stuff that is legit Christmas and our tree. But even once that's gone, I think our home still feels wintry. So mm-hmm. that's why... I'm not buying the candlesticks that say Merry Christmas or the trays that say, you know, have a snowman on them because I want to be able to use them year around. So I don't have to take quite as much down, still use the greenery that I've pulled off of our trees in the driveway, things like that. So it's more of a gradual moving into spring instead of like, now it's January 1st and everything's going into a bin. So it makes my life easier, but also makes the home feel more in touch with nature, I think, instead of having like a five-hour you know, marathon of getting everything out of the house. It's really changed how I address the seasons. That's so fun. I'm trying to figure out. I was going to say something really cheesy like. Oh, say cheese. I love cheesy. (laughs) I was going to be like, well, it's time to tear down this podcast. (laughs) 
it's time to put Pack all it of this away in the red and green in the bins. bins. <laughs> <And> <laughs> there, I said it. You said it. Um, thank you so much for coming out That's here so and um, just sharing from your life and giving us all just um, help. <laughs> but also, just like I love your heart around all of it, and just I know it's helped so many women, and I love that. You said that it's, you know, also that we can focus on the people mm-hmm. in our lives. And I learned not long ago that um, I was in a Bible study and this lady was, she's like really versed in like Hebrew and Greek. And she was saying, anytime the Bible talks about inheritance, for the most part, it means people. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I love that too. Yeah. So it's like really when God's, you know, saying, you know, you will inherit this or inherit this, she's like, um, for the most part, it's like, it's the people. And so I love that you said that and reminded me of it while ago mm-hmm. and wanted to kind of end on that because that's the, that is the end all, isn't it? Like yeah, for us beautiful. to love on the people that we do have in our family, but also to bring heaven to earth to the people around us. And you help us do that better. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much just for your gift and your life and for using it and for being on this podcast today. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Love being in your lovely home. Thank you.